Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. chapter 4. We're going to start reading at uh, uh, verse 16, read through the end of the chapter, verse 25. Let me try to give you some uh, uh, feed in to how we're going to uh, understand this passage of Scripture. Uh, as you know, Paul has been presenting uh, his understanding of the gospel. He started out by saying he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. That's how we get right with God. That's how the righteousness of God is revealed. Uh, and then he went on to say, and the wrath of God is revealed. Uh, because that's the problem. We were created for the glory of God. We have rejected God, exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Uh, we have gone the way of idolatry, worshiping creatures, created things, uh, rather than worshiping the creator. That's resulted in the dysfunction of the human race, uh, and that, that's called sin. Um, and we saw that religion was not an answer for that. Uh, not even the Jewish religion with all of its uh, uh, depth and beauty and uh, the uh, uh, picture of Christ in the sacrificial system. It was still not enough uh, to get people back into a relationship with God. And so Paul says in chapter 3, 21, he says, but now the righteousness of God is revealed apart from the law. It's revealed through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, that's how we get right with God. It's because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, and we appropriate that, that grace of God we just heard about, that grace of God comes into our lives, and all we do is receive it. We trust God for it. We believe it. Uh, we are saved by grace through faith. And so that's what he's been talking about. Now, you remember that Paul has an imaginary friend. <laughs> he has an imaginary friend in the room as he's writing this letter, and his imaginary friend is, is a, a really devout Jew and is really sold on the Jewish tradition. And as Paul is writing these things, that the righteousness of God comes right grace through faith, uh, the friend says, wait a minute, Paul, you're forgetting the law. We Jews have the law and we have the tradition. Go to your Bible, Paul. You'll see there's the Torah. Uh, it's really all about uh, the law and fulfilling what God has told us there in the Torah. And uh, essentially then what Paul says is, well, let's turn to that Bible. But as we're looking back to the law that was given through Moses, Let's keep going back to Abraham, where it all started, and get back to Abraham, who's hundreds of years before Moses, hundreds of years before the law, and yet he is made righteous with God. God counts his faith as righteousness. So we've, we've got to ask ourselves, how did God deal with, with, with Abraham? Because he didn't deal with him according to law. Couldn't have. The law didn't exist yet. So, so, so how did he deal with him? He dealt with him on the basis of faith. In other words, and that, that was uh, verse 3, chapter 4, where he says, And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, when Abraham trusted in the promises of God, ordered his life according to what God had promised and God had, had said, when he believed God, that brought him into a right relationship with God. That was the righteousness of God creating that relationship, and Abraham participated, plugged into that by faith. And so that leads us then to the question is, well, what does that faith mean? What does that faith mean? And we've talked about the last couple of weeks. We talked about grace two weeks ago and faith um, uh, last week. And this morning, uh, we're going to talk about faith as it relates to the promise. Now, that word promise is the, the key word in there because that's what Abraham believed. God had said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a lot of descendants, going to create a great nation out of you. 
uh, going to do a, a wonderful work. Everybody's going to rise up, call you blessed. That's the promise. And Abraham believed the promise. He said, all right, God, that, that's where my life is headed. That's going to shape my life. I, I believe you. I put my faith, my trust in you. And that's how it operated. And how did that faith come along? And so as we're looking at this uh, passage of Scripture, and Paul's sort of um, concluding the, um, his dealings with Abraham uh, for the moment, uh, what, uh, what I want you to keep in mind is that word promise. That God made a promise to Abraham and the way that Abraham responded to God's promise shows us what faith is like, what faith is and how it works in our lives, all right? So you can keep those two thoughts. I know it's two thoughts at the same time at the front of your head. Can we do this? We're not going anywhere until you say yes. Curb the enthusiasm, folks. <laughs> no, it's just sort of like overwhelming up here. Okay, all right. Anyway, um, yes, thank you. <laughs> Amen. So uh, anyway, but keep those two thoughts at the front of your head. Faith and how faith relates to promise as God was working in Abraham's life. All right, so let's start at verse 16. And that is why it, this whole working of God to bring righteous, uh, righteousness to Abraham, to bring a right relationship to Abraham... That's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Amen. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, what a marvelous thing it is to gather together and to worship together. Father, to be encouraged by the word spoken, the word proclaimed, the word shared in fellowship. What a great thing it is to be surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, for these moments that we are together, we feel the strength and the encouragement and the reality of faith. But, Father, we also confess that when we leave this room and we go back to our homes and our places of work and learning, and, Father, we go back and the adversary attacks again, problems of life come back again. 
And so, Father, we need the strength of this moment every moment outside of this church building. We need the strength of this moment to face each day. And we need the courage of faith that we have right now to be operating and real in our lives. But, Father, we also understand we're not able to do this, but you are. And so I ask for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit on each one here that every believer would just be infused with your presence. And, Father, that your Spirit would guide us and lead us. And, Father, make us useful in the work of the kingdom and give us the, the wherewithal that we might live for Christ. Father, I'm praying that this hour of worship would become constant and everlasting everywhere and always. And I pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The phrase that sort of jumped out at me as I was uh, studying this passage of Scripture is found in um, verse 18 of Romans chapter 4. Let me read that for you. In hope, he believed against hope. You could almost translate that. In hope, he believed when it was hopeless. Uh, the hopelessness comes about when you take your eyes off the promises of God, when you forget that his love for us is overwhelming, such as we've been singing about, that his grace is all-encompassing, and you take your eyes off of that, and you just start looking at the things around you, and you wonder how you can make it, you wonder how God can work, you wonder how this whole thing called life is going to work out, and you eventually wind up at a place of hopelessness. And the Bible says that when Abraham got the hopelessness in hope, he had faith. He believed anyway. You see, those two words, hope and faith, are linked together in the Scripture. In fact, there's a third word that comes in with it, and that's love, faith, hope, and love. Some of you remember that uh, from the end of 1 Corinthians 13, that there's faith and there's hope and there's love. And Paul talks a lot about these three Christian virtues, either together or they become the sort of the structural outline of a passage of Scripture. But we find faith, hope, and love together quite often. And as it turns out, faith, hope, and love are pretty good ways to understand your life. They're pretty good ways to think about life. Now, I've been in settings where people have either brought me a problem or a question or we've been discussing a, a, some decision that needs to be made. And, and I have a couple of questions that I like to ask. One, one question I like to ask is, if you were king of the forest... <laughs> I'm sorry, that just came out. <laughs> but if, if you were king of the forest, what would you do? In other words, if you had all the authority, you could do whatever you wanted, what would you do? Because that's a way to learn what your values are, what it is that, that's important to you, what, what's the outcome that you want to see. And the other question I like to ask people is, if you had unlimited funds, if you had unlimited resources, all the money in the world, what would you do? Because that will tell you where your values are. What is worth sacrificing everything to get from here to there? And so those, I thought, were pretty good questions. You know, if you were king, what would you do? If you were, if you were uh, eminently wealthy, what would you do? What I want to remind you, however, is that God happens to be king of the forest. And the real question is, what would God want me to do? 
And God actually has infinite wealth, and the real question is, what does God want to do? So that, that's, that's the real question. But these are sort of focusing questions. But uh, you, you can also focus your life and focus a, a situation by asking, where does faith, hope, and love come into this area of my life, into this particular situation? How is faith operating? What am I hoping for? What is it I love? What is it that I believe in? What is it that I'm willing to entrust my life and have that value or that person uh, just sort of guide as I trust them to lead me along? What is it I hope for? What do I think is, is going to happen as a result of where I am and where God is leading me? What is it that I am hoping for? And who is it that I love? Because when you answer those questions, you'll figure out who and what's worth living for and who and what's worth dying for. So those questions, faith, hope, and love, are pretty good questions to ask about a situation. Um, faith is, 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 is pretty important, I suppose. You remember Earth Day? I couldn't attend. <laughs> I couldn't make it to Earth that day. But uh, on, on Earth Day, there were a lot of people marching, you remember this, and, and a lot of them were holding signs there, we believe in science. I thought that was great. I believe in science too because one of the things science believes in is that science doesn't have all the answers. If science had all the answers, science would quit. But they haven't, so I'm figuring out there's either a lot of grant money going on or science, you know, or science is, is still looking for answers to a lot of questions. So I believe in science. As you know, science tells us the, the, the way God did it. <laughs> they don't tell us who did it, but it tells us the way God did it. And so I, I believe in science, but that's a very small belief. It's a very, very small belief. I believe in my investment company. <laughs> Talk about hopeless. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's conceivable that they could actually invest my money enough to, that, that uh, my retirement account would grow to the point where Debbie and I each have our own bag of French fries when we retire. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's sort of like our financial goal in life. But, uh, uh, but that's a very low level of belief. That's a very low level of belief. Here's what we believe. We believe in God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And we believe in his only begotten son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost. And he was born of the Virgin Mary. And he suffered under Pontius Pilate, and he was crucified and dead, and he was buried, but the grave couldn't hold him. Three days later, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven, and he's coming back from heaven, and he's going to judge the quick and the dead. We believe in the Holy Ghost. We believe in the church, the body of Christ. We believe in an eternal fellowship that we'll have in heaven before the altar of God's grace. We believe in everlasting life. These things are a high level of belief, and these things are worthy of our faith. Amen. You know, hope is a good thing to have. A lot of us have hope. We're called Caps fans. <laughs> That's either hope or wishful thinking. I'm not sure which it is. But, uh, you know, if, if, if you look at the, this is a hockey team for those of you who are totally out of touch, and you were, you were busy on Earth Day rather than, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, you know, to hope, I think what happened was when the Boston Red Sox won the World Series, the curse of the Bambina was transferred to Washington, okay? And, and that's the only way you can explain it. They're going to fold it with Pittsburgh. Well, okay, hope, hope springs eternal. We're still hopeful that they'll win. That's a very low level of hope. But here's what we hope. 
Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our hope is resting on the one who came, lived a sinless life, and gave his life for ours. Our hope rests in the promises of God. We're standing on the promises, and we're ordering our life, hoping in the promise of God, that he will not forsake us, he will never leave us, he will always come to us. That is our hope, and that's a hope that will sustain your life. You know, there's a lot of talk about love in our world and, and what it is, it is all about. And people say, you know, what is this thing called love? Well, I'll tell you what this thing called love is. Love is when Jesus Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Love is when we did not deserve God's attention, and yet he focused every ounce of attention on us, not because we were lovely and wonderful and beautiful, but simply because he loves us. And that results in our lives being transformed. We love because he first loved us. And it totally, radically changes our lives. So if you start looking at your life as faith, hope, and love, what is it I believe? What is it I'm hoping for? Who is it that I love? You'll start to understand your life a little bit better. I mean, when you think about it, and you will because I'm going to tell you right now, but, uh, but when you think about it, marriage is all about faith, hope, and love. You ever hear anybody say, we're betrothed? <laughs> no, not really. What you hear them say is, we're engaged. Being engaged and being betrothed are not the same thing. Being engaged is just sort of being linked. I've engaged the plumber to come and fix the sink. You know? <laughs> I have a singing engagement. <laughs> That's not betrothal. You know, in, in, back in the, in the olden days, like 10 years ago, the, the wedding ceremony used to say, you know, I pledge thee my troth, and I give thee my troth. Nobody knew what troth was. Troth is an old English word that means truth and faith. And so when you talk about being betrothed to somebody, it means that I have put my faith and my trust in you, and we will be linked by trusting one another throughout life. It's a pretty good way to understand a marriage. Marriage is based on trust. It is based on, on giving your life to somebody else, giving that other person the power to destroy you and trusting them that they will build you up. That's why marriage is so hard, by the way. Uh, but it, it's, it's about trust. It's about hope. You know, a marriage should have something that it's built on that is bigger than itself. A marriage needs to be about hoping in something. Now, um, most people just sort of fall into uh, hoping about the kids. We hope the kids turn out well. We hope the kids are, are, are fine and happy and rich enough to support us in our old age. And, you know, so they have hopes about the children. But what will happen is they'll, they'll just sort of focus on, on the kids. And then when the kids grow up and they leave home at age 37, 38, then, you know, suddenly you have this... this <laughs> this uh, um, um, uh, empty nest syndrome, and you look at each other and say, who are you? I thought you were just the babysitter when I wasn't there. And you look at each other because the marriage was about raising the kids, and the kids are raised, and you don't have anything. Marriage needs to be about the glory of God in Jesus Christ. When a marriage is about a husband and a wife living so that God would be glorified in your relationship, in your home, in your children, and how you deal with one another, when, when that's the purpose, that's the hope of the marriage, then you can overcome all kinds of things. 
because you're working for something bigger than you are. That's what we mean when we say hope in a marriage. And love might be nice in a marriage, I think, but, you know, not, not, not the simplistic kind of love. You do know that falling in love and being in love are two different things. I'm not saying that poetically. I'm saying that scientifically. I don't know how they did it, but they did studies on people's brains. You know, what happens to your brain when you fall in love? I don't know how they did that. I mean, did they follow a bunch of teenagers around and say, are you in love? And you love, I got these electrodes, you know, and they found it. But the, the, the thing is, there's a certain chemical re- reaction that takes place in the brain when you fall in love and you actually do become a different person. You turn out, uh, you, you, you become nice. You start to listen, guys. Really, you know why you listen? Because of a chemical imbalance in your brain. <laughs> You thought you were in love, you know? And you start to care about things, and you, and you give up stuff. Oh, no, I don't want to go to that softball game. I'd rather just sit and talk. <laughs> okay, all right. But for some of you, you know, the falling in love experience returns to reality, you know? Um, and and it, it's, it's really about a six-month process. Um, on, on average, folks, on average, don't come up to me and say, we're still in love. We fall in love every day. Don't do that to me, okay? I've got to eat lunch, and I can't take it. <laughs> but love is about doing the right thing when it hurts. Love is about sacrificing when you've already sacrificed everything you've got. Love is about stopping and, and, and denying yourself. Love is about being like Jesus. Guys, love is about giving your life for your wife and your family. That's what love is about. It's much deeper than falling in love. That's too easy. You know, falling is, is real easy. It just happens to you. Being in love is something you have to choose every day. And so a marriage needs faith, hope, and love. And, and it's a good way to just think about a marriage is, you know, what, what, do, what do we believe in? What is our hope? What is our goal here? Uh, and, and how are we doing in this department of sacrificing for one another and loving one another? Um, I'll give you another quick example. And I haven't forgotten the scripture. We're going to get to that. I've also not forgotten my clock, so we'll, we'll get to that too. But, but um, midlife crisis some of you are past that. <laughs> Some of you are getting ready for that. Some of you are in the middle of that. But, you know, the, the midlife crisis is all about faith, hope, and love. The things you believed in turn out not to be true because you believed in things of the world. You know, you believed that enough money would make me happy. You believed that, that if I just had friends, if I got a certain job, if I had a, a certain level of education, you, you thought that was going to make you happy. You put your faith in things of the world, and it turned out that the things of the world can't make you happy and can't make you fulfilled. And you go into this midlife crisis saying, what, what's going on here? I don't know what to believe in. It's about faith. It's about hope. Hope has to do with the dreams you have. You know, you turn 43 years old. Look, guys, 40 is easy. You know, they oh, 40 midlife crisis. No, that's easy. It waits until 43 so it can ambush you. But at age 43, uh, what happens is you look at those dreams and you realize, you know, I probably won't ever be a brain surgeon. I really am stuck in this job for the rest of my life. There are certain doors that are closed to me now. The Army won't even take me. I'm 43 years old. I was going to tell you a story about that, but I'll, I'll, time eludes us. But 
It, it was funny to me, and I'm just having a nice moment here upside, <laughs> inside of myself. But, um, but you, you know, you get to the point and you look at the things you hope for and life is just not panning out the way you wanted it to. And you become hopeless and you begin to despair. And the things that you loved turned out to be treasures on earth and the rust is setting in and the moths are starting to destroy it. And the loves that you had were all anchored in these temporary things of, of, of the earth. And no wonder you're in a midlife crisis because you believe the wrong thing and you hope for the wrong thing and you love the wrong things. I could go on. I, I just, I, I'll give this to you uh, as an exercise to, to solve at home, but a lot of times depression is about faith, hope, and love because when you're depressed, you don't feel like it's worthwhile believing in anything. Life has let you down. You're absolutely hopeless, and you don't think anybody loves you. So faith, hope, and love are really good ways to think about life. Now, in the passage of Scripture here, it says that Abraham, in hope, believed. In hope, he had faith. The word love is going to come uh, a little bit later on in chapter 5. Did I say this already? I said it at 8.30. No, okay, so Debbie says I can do it. Yeah, in chapter 5, uh, it, we're, we're going to read that God's love is commended toward us. God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in chapter 8, we'll learn that uh, uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So the love thing is coming. But I want for us especially to think this morning about the hope and the faith the hope and the faith, and how in the midst of hopelessness you can still believe and have hope. And we look at the example of Abraham here. In verse uh, 18, it says, In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. That's what God told him. So shall your descendants be. Now, folks, Abraham was in a crisis. That's all he had was God's promise. He did not have a son. There was no son on the horizon a son was not likely if you just did an evaluation of the situation, you would realize this promise that God had given had been nice, but it just didn't look like it was ever going to happen. And this creates a crisis for Abraham because how is he going to order his life? You find out that in trying to... to, to finagle an answer to this promise. He did all kinds of nutty things other than just trusting God for it. But at this point, he trusts God. He believes in hope against hope. And look at verse 19. It's a, it, it's a great verse. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. <laughs> a lot of times I look at my own body and I weaken in faith. I mean, it's just the way it works. <laughs> but you should have seen me in my prime. Amazing, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I'm still amazed. You know, the, the older you get, the better you were. But, uh, um, but you know, but it says, uh, in fact, one translation says uh, he didn't weaken in faith when he faced the facts. See, he, he, he wasn't afraid to face the reality of it. The reality of it was he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Getting there? <laughs> Since he was about 100 years old. Well, I'm working on that. And, and he looked at his wife and said, you know, she's not going to have a baby. Every time he looked at the things of the earth and evaluated his situation according to the way the world evaluated it, it said, give up. It's just not going to happen. And that was the hopelessness of it all. The world said there was no hope. 
But Abraham believed God. He said, God, I don't understand it. I don't see how it's going to happen. Not, not real, you know, intellectually, this, this is like a real challenge for me. But God, I am going to order my life according to your promise. I am going to make my decisions according to what you have promised me. And I'm going to do those things that will uphold the promise and point me to the promise and keep me focused on the promise. You see, the hopelessness was, was, was what threatened to take him away from God. Pain will do that in your life. Sharon, I was sharing with somebody earlier this morning that pain has a way of making you see less and less and less. I know there's somebody out there who has more pain than I do, but this is my pain. It's very personal to me, and it hurts me a lot. And you get to the point where all you know is that I am in pain, and the concept that somebody is in pain worse doesn't help my pain. So you see, pain is what sort of focuses us on ourselves and gives us a narrow, very narrow uh, sort of sense of time. We, we're, we're just... Uh, not thinking ahead of what might happen as a consequence. Now, in some ways, this is really good because when you get in enough pain, you don't care what they do to you and you have the operation you should have had and then you feel better and wonder why you waited. But, but more often than not, what happens is when you're in pain and in emotional pain and in the hopelessness of pain, what we do is we just give up and give in and we don't realize the eternal consequences of it because pain focuses us down. In hope against the hopelessness of the pain, Abraham still believed God. He said, I'm still focusing on what God wants, and I'm still ordering my life according to what God wants. Now, there's a great sort of insight into how this happened. In verse 20, he says, no uh, unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He grew strong in faith by giving glory to God. Now, on the one hand, you know, maybe Abraham just went off by himself and had a little hallelujah session. Probably would have helped, but I don't think that's entirely it. I think when it says Abraham gave glory to God, it meant my life belongs to God. I was created to give God glory. I'm going to live giving God glory. And that means no matter how bad, how painful, how hurtful this thing, no matter how hopeless it looks, I am going to proclaim the goodness of God because God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And that's not just a phrase that we're going to use. That's going to be ordering my life's principle because that's based on the promises of God for my life. That's how he was glorifying God. And when you get in the midst of the hopelessness, in the midst of the despair, in the, in the midst of thinking that, that this is never going to work out, just remember to give God the glory. That's why worship is so important. We get together and for a few minutes, at least, you know, about an hour, hour and a half, two hours, uh, you know, the, um, the, the thing is we're worshiping together and singing together and my neighbors and, and, and I'm listening to y'all sing and, and it's just coming to me, the reality of God and heaven comes down and glory fills my soul and, and all those other wonderful songs. And, you know, we're, we're, we're strong in the faith when we gather together and help one another. That's why worship is so important. It connects us back up with the glory of God. That's why we were created. You remember that so long ago. Created for the glory of God. We exchanged the glory of God for lizards and beasts and bears and things. But when you glorify God, you return to the purpose of your creation. And everything just sort of fades into its relative importance compared to the glory of God. 
And so Abraham, it says, grew stronger in faith by glorifying God, giving God the glory in that. He was fully convinced God was able to perform what he had promised. Now, I know for a fact that those words were not written just for Abraham. They were written for you. And here's how I know it. Paul says so. <laughs> uh, he says, the, these words, 23, it was counted to him, that, that were, these words were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe, who have faith. But it's not just the generic faith, you got to believe sort of thing that the world talks about. It's a very specific and very focused faith. Those of us who believe in him, the heavenly father, in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. By the way, once you know God can raise the dead, the rest of it's pretty much child's play. Raised him from the dead. Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and our sins, and here it is, and raised up for our justification. And now we've finished the sweep of what Paul was talking about. He said, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. It's revealed apart from the law in Jesus Christ, and we connect up with that righteousness through faith, and that's how we are made right with God. That's how we are justified with God, and all that leads to our justification when we have that kind of faith response to the invitation of God's grace. And so when you're in the middle of the hopelessness and the despair, strength, strengthen your faith by giving God the glory and a faith that is directed to the power of God and to the mercy of God and to the justice of God in Jesus Christ. Now, we're all going to agree that's pretty hard to do. It's pretty hard to do. I forget who it was. There's somebody who uh, became president of the United States, and he said, this job is a lot harder than I thought. Folks, this life is a lot harder than I thought. And a lot of times, this walk of faith is a lot harder than I thought. And keeping focused on the promises of God is a lot harder than I thought. That is why God sends his Holy Spirit into the life of the believer. Because we can't, God can. And the presence of God, the Holy Spirit within us, is what moves us to live by faith and not by sight, to keep focused on the promises of God. It, it's hard, but when you come through it to the other side, your faith is stronger, your hope is stronger, your love is stronger. You get the other side of that, of that problem and the difficulty. You work out that problem in the marriage. And when you get to the other side and you go through a reconciliation process and you come back together, you come back stronger than you ever were before. When you go through seasons of doubt and seasons of questions and seasons when you don't know if you're going to make it and God pulls you through, you look back and you gain strength from those days like you never did before. And what I can promise you is that when you go through the dark valleys, when it seems that there's no love coming your way and that you're unlovely and unlovable and then God pulls you through it and you realize he loved you the whole time, you will love God in a way that you never would have before. And he'll receive the glory for it all. So Abraham, in the middle of hopelessness, 
believed in hope in the promises of God. That's my challenge for you this week. In fact, do this every day. Wherever you are, whoever you're with, just start thinking about it. Where does my faith, what do I believe here? Where's my hope? What are my goals here? Where's the love? What matters to me here? And the answer to all three of those questions needs to be Jesus Christ, and it'll transform your life. In hope against hope, believe. All right? Okay. Let's pray together. Father, without you, we can do nothing. It's more than a song. It's the reality of our lives. And it's not like it surprises us because every day we're reminded how unable we are, but then every day of our lives we're reminded of how able you are and how powerful you are and how loving and kind and wise you are. Father, I pray for us in this room that our eyes would be taken off the things of earth and be set on things in heaven where Christ is. Father, that our lives would be directed to him and that our faith would be trusting you through Jesus Christ by the power of your spirit. Father, let your spirit just roll over us. Take us, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.